What a beautiful day. Thankful to God for a blessed day of cooler temperatures and moisture. It's always a great day when we can be together to worship and to look at God's Word together. I've entitled our study today, Truth and Freedom. We'll get here to uh, John chapter 8 momentarily. There's a couple of things I want to say before I look at that. As we consider the topic today, I'm not going to talk about truth a whole lot. There's some things I want to assume that you know about truth. One of those things, the primary thing, is that Jesus said in John 14, I am the truth. And because of that statement, that means that we can know the truth, we can understand the truth, we can find the truth, we can discern the difference in the truth and a lie. And if we can do that, then that's the thing that will provide freedom. So let's look at what Jesus says in John 8. His first statement here is, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed on Him, and I believe this is important for us to understand what takes place here, is for us to recognize who Jesus is talking to. As we read through the Gospels, very often we see an exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees that is very contentious, because the Pharisees did not, as a general rule, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so that created some conflict and some teaching moments for Jesus that brought about a lot of different revelation for you and I. But in this situation, Jesus is talking to people that believed Him. So what He says to these folks that believed Him is, If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed. If you abide in my word, I want you to remember that phrase because it's going to come up again in our study today. The word abide means to dwell or to stay or it's where we live. And so he says to these folks that believe his words, if you will abide in my word, then you'll be my disciple. And then that brings some other results. You shall know the truth, he says. If you're abiding in my word, you're my disciple. And if you're my disciple abiding in my word, then you'll know what the truth is. And we live in a world that's consumed with things that are not true. And the devil is at work, and he's working every day to put things and ideas in front of us that are not the truth, but they sound good to us. And we want to believe those things and we want to follow those things because they sound good to us. But if we're a disciple and we're abiding in the Word, then we'll know the truth. And the truth shall make you free, he says. Now they had a response to this, and it's a very typical response. 
They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. And they've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? That seems like an odd statement to me. Because the current circumstance, who's in control there? (laughs) It's not the Jews. It's the Roman government, isn't it? And yet, they have the arrogance to say, we're connected to Abraham. We've never been in bondage to anyone. I'm going to assume that there's not many of us, if any of us here today, that can make that statement. We're not Abraham's descendant, not physically. But there is a way, as I look at myself, that I present this same level of arrogance. And it's a misunderstanding of what true freedom is. I want you to consider this for a moment. We'll come back to John chapter 8 here in a minute. So this is a representation, a summary, if you will, of the Bill of Rights. And I use this just to illustrate the overall Constitution of the United States of America. These Bill of Rights were the first ten amendments to that Constitution. Uh, The Constitution was written and approved in, I believe it was about 1780-something, 88 or 9, somewhere along in there. And then by 1791, they had created these first ten amendments to that Constitution, and we call that the Bill of Rights. And there's some extraordinary things about this from a worldly perspective. And this document has governed or ruled to a large degree our country ever since that time. And as we look at our country today, we recognize that these things are threatened, particularly the idea of freedom of religion as it comes to Christianity. And we see those things slipping away. And I don't like it. But the point I want to make today is that's not true freedom, folks. That's not the freedom Jesus is talking about. Now, if we're free, if we have freedom of speech, that can be a great blessing to us. And I believe it has been a great blessing to us. Freedom of religion, all of the things that's covered in this Constitution... But I want you to remember what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 7. And what he's talking about here is he's addressing the idea that when you're called or when you're taught the gospel and you come to Jesus, where you came from doesn't matter. It truly does not matter. And what he says, were you called a slave or while a slave? Don't be concerned about it, he says. But if you can be made free, rather use it. So if we have some measure of freedom of speech today, let's use it. 
What would we use it for? To spread the gospel. He goes on to say here, For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. Second Timothy 2, verse 8 and 9. Now, it, it sounds to me like Paul here is literally in chains. Now, I don't know what that means exactly because I've never been chained. I guess I've probably had some handcuffs on, but I had the key. So it really wasn't that big a deal. Paul was literally in chains. His freedom was restricted. And this is what he says about that. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. So he's chained because he was preaching the gospel. even to the point of chains. But the Word of God is not chained. So when we think about our freedom and our liberty that we enjoy as citizens of the United States, and, and I look at that, and I look at that in view of biblical history, and I look at that in view of secular history, the truth is, man gave us these freedoms, and man can take them away. And I think that's what's happening. But the Word of God is not chained, and will not be chained. So let's go back to John 8. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son, abide, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So what does Jesus do here? What He always does. He tries to move their perspective from a carnal, worldly perspective to the spiritual. We've never been in bondage to anyone. What do you mean we can be made free? The truth is, they were in bondage to sin. And the truth is, we need to be delivered from that bondage to be free. And it don't matter where we live or what our government is or any of those things in the world that does not matter. The other thing he says here that's extraordinary to me is this point he makes, this contrast between what a slave to sin has
Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever. A slave does not abide in the house forever. So what's the contrast? The contrast is between what sin is going to give us. It's temporary. We may like it, but it's not going to stay that way. But if a son... When Jesus makes us free, this is true freedom. You shall be free indeed. So what are we free from? So in the context of what Jesus says here, it's very clear. He's talking about being free from sin. So when we live in sin... We're in bondage to that sin. We just are. And then when we're freed from that sin, that's where the great blessings in Jesus are. And we're going to look at a lot of different ideas and things that I believe that does for us today. But they're all directly connected to the fact that we're freed from sin. And that's where our freedom starts. So when we obey the gospel, when we come to Jesus, which is what he's talking about here in Romans 6, we're freed from our sin. And that provides all of this world of blessings that are available to everyone. But it all starts with what Jesus said about sin. So Romans 6 is an exceedingly important chapter when it comes to understanding how we're freed from sin, why we're freed from sin, and when we're freed from sin, right? And I know you've heard these things before, at least I hope you have, but I want us to think about this in the context of what Jesus said in in John 8. What then, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? So think about that. Does forgiveness give us the right to sin? No, Jesus said it makes us free from sin. It don't make us free to sin. Certainly not, He says. Do you not know what to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey. That's what Jesus said. When you sin, you become a slave to sin. Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, it's what they used to be. You obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered and having been set free from sin you become slaves of righteousness. I don't remember who preached this, but sometime in my recent memory, someone made the very important point that we're going to serve somebody. You're not neutral. You're not independent. You're going to serve somebody. And it's going to be either sin 
or righteousness. And you get to pick. You get to pick every day. You get to pick right now. You want to be free? Pick righteousness and be a slave to righteousness. Now he says here, mentioned a while ago, when we obey that form of doctrine, we're delivered. That's when we become free. When we're baptized, that's the form of the doctrine. The death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. We die to our sin. We're buried in baptism and we rise to walk in newness of life in pursuit of righteousness. That's the when. And the pursuit of righteousness is a lifelong pursuit. And we're flawed. And we won't always measure up. But we're forgiven and we're freed. He says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. We are weak. The flesh is weak. It is susceptible to temptation. It is susceptible to believing the lie. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? I want you to think about that phrase. Have you ever done anything you're ashamed of? Be honest. What was the fruit of that? Now understand what he's talking about here. You're going to be a slave to sin, or you're going to be a slave to righteousness. So when you do something, and we've all done it, that's the truth. When we do something that makes us ashamed, what do we do? You got two choices. You can be honest and so I goofed up. And that's hard. That's hard. Because we don't like to say we goofed up. But are you going to pursue righteousness? Are you going to be a slave to the sin? Because if you want to be free from the sin, you've got to be honest and say, I did it. The other thing we can do with shame is just push it down. And we'll eventually convince ourselves that there is no shame. And that's the point at which we've become a slave to the sin.
That's not what it means to be free. And the wages of sin, he says, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life and in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to be free. I want to be free. Matthew 6, Jesus says this, The lamp of the body is the eye. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. I want us to think about this in the context of are we a slave to sin or are we a slave to righteousness? What are you looking at? What are you looking at? If you're looking at good things, you'll be thinking about good things. If you're looking at bad things, you'll be thinking about bad things. Your whole body will be full of darkness, he says. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The world is dark. <laughs> we need to be looking at good things. Because he says you cannot serve two masters. And that's one of the biggest challenges for you and I is we don't want to let it go. We want to get as close to the line as we can. We want to do what we can get by with. We want to do as much as is okay. We want to get, do it as long as it's legal. You cannot serve two masters, he says. What are you looking at? First John 1. So Romans 6 was about obeying that form of doctrine. We hear, but we believe Jesus is the Son of God. We confess His name before men. We repent. We make the decision we want to change and be something different. And then we're baptized. We're free from sin. God operates on our heart. He removes the sin. We're free. But temptation don't go away. So 1 John 1 is about how we live. How do we live with temptation and mistakes? How do we go forward with nap becoming a slave to sin. If we walk in the light, John says, as He in the, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His Son cleanses us from all sin. There's ongoing 
cleansing of sin. We can remain free. We don't have to become a slave to sin. Yes, we goof up. Yes, we make mistakes. But we're going to walk in the light. I mean, that, that is a literal illustration of what truth does. It illuminates the path. It's like a glowing line to follow. Walk in the light. What does that mean? This is what it means. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. There's the lie. There's the lie. I'm okay. Everybody does it. I have the blood of Jesus, so I can just keep right on sinning. And we make ourselves slaves to the sin. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, that's the hard part. But if we do that, he says, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And we'll notice here in a minute, that's not possible. When God says it's a sin, you can say it's not. <laughs> but that don't change reality. We're not going to make Him a liar. But he, what He says when we do that is His Word's not in us. Remember what He said in John 8? You abide in the Word. You've got to stay there. Hebrews 2, Inasmuch then as the children have partakers of flesh and blood, the Apostle says, He Himself likewise shared in the same, that through death He might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So this is, I believe, directly connected to what Jesus says in John 8. Are you afraid to die? Now there's things about death that are very intimidating. And I know... When you come face to face with it, it can be hard. But we can be delivered. We can be free from that fear. Because of the truth. And what the truth does for us. And because we are forgiven. Truly forgiven. It's one of the blessings that we enjoy as God's child. We're delivered from that bondage. And if you're here today and you're afraid to die, you need to get your life right. You need to be free from that fear. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. I'm going to refer you to Mark's 
study from last Sunday. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to go listen to it. It was a lesson about learning to manage our thoughts. And it goes directly to this idea of worry and trouble that we think about. But Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. We can be free from that because we're forgiven. Our relationship with God is repaired. We enjoy the promises of God to take care of us. Let it go. The truth will set you free. It will set your mind free. And you can focus on good things. And things that will be helpful and encouraging. You can be a servant. You can be helpful and encouraging to other people. You can do all of the things that God wants you to do when you're set free from being consumed with worry and trouble. Hebrews 10, verse 22, Let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I talked earlier about shame. This is a similar idea. Does your conscience bother you? Well, stop. You're forgiven. God will forgive you because of the blood of Jesus. We're delivered from a guilty conscience. Now, if we just keep doing the same thing over and over and over, and our conscience becomes seared, that's not a good thing. But when you take a godly approach to the things that you do, you can have a clear conscience, a free conscience. Free indeed. True freedom. I want to spend some time now talking about another aspect of truth. And I believe it's, it's a package. Don't think it's something completely different. And I believe John 8 bears this out. When we think about God... And we think about the statement here in Hebrews 6 that it's impossible for God to lie. I want you to consider what that means. The first thing is it's a statement about God's character. God is righteous. He always does the right thing. He has delivered you and I the truth. And He always will. It's impossible for God to lie. But the other thing that reveals to us is the importance of truth-telling. 
We need to emulate God. We don't need to lie. We don't need to be dishonest. We need to tell the truth. Because the truth will set us free. In contrast to that, here in John 8, 44, year of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Now, please understand what he's telling us here. This reveals the character of Satan. It also reveals to us how important it is for us to tell the truth. Because there's consequences to lying. When there's freedom in truth, there's bondage in lying. You should have noticed that statement there about because there is no truth in him. So the two primary examples I think of in Scripture when the devil is interacting, the first one is in the Garden of Eden. So what did he do? Was everything that Satan said factually incorrect? No. No, but Jesus said there's no truth in him. He's not talking about being factually correct. What was his intent? What did he want to do? He wanted to deceive. So he used the facts to deceive Eve. That's what he did. And the result of that, Jesus says there's no truth in him. The other example, first or second one that comes to my mind, is the temptation of Jesus. Was he factually incorrect in the way that he tempted Jesus? No, he had some factual information there. But his intent was to deceive. So that's the contrast. God tells us the truth. Satan doesn't. And you and I need to be the same way. We need to tell the truth. And Jeremiah 9, the prophet says, And like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. They are not valiant for the truth on the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, says the Lord. Everyone take heed to his neighbor, and do not trust any brother. For every brother will utterly supplant... And every neighbor will walk with slanderers. Everyone will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. Does that sound familiar? 
That's the world we live in. And it's not new. It's not new. But folks, the truth will set us free. It truly will. The other thing about this, rarely is lying the only problem a person has. Because once we become comfortable with that, there's always something else. And that's what he says. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. And it is so easy for us to get comfortable lying. Proverbs 26, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Just, I didn't mean it. I was just kidding. Is your intent to deceive? Stop. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore put away lying. Don't do it. Let each of you, one of you speak truth with, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. 1 Timothy 4, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with the hot iron. Revelation 21 and 8, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Not a good group to be in. Because they shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So I want us to think about some things as we consider these scriptures. I've already made some comments, but this is the big problem with lying. You'll be lost. That's not good. Lying is addictive. And you usually start with a small lie, and before it's over, I've heard it expressed different ways, but one of the ways is, well, he'd, he'd rather climb a tree and tell a lie than he would tell the truth standing on the ground. And yeah, I guess there's some amusement in that, except liars are going to be in hell. It's really not funny. And it gets worse and worse and worse. We noted earlier that it leads to other sins. You get comfortable with this one, and there's no place to stop. And it will destroy your conscience.
That's why there's no place to stop. Your conscience becomes seared, hardened. Truth is the solution. And I don't care if you're a toddler or you're 103 years old. When you get in trouble at home, at school, with your boss, with God, truth is the solution. Always. Because lying does not alter reality. And that is what seems to be the most prevalent idea in our world today, is that by me saying so makes it true. And if I say I didn't do it when I did it, that means I didn't do it. It makes no sense, and yet people seem to believe that Lying changes reality. And it does not. And it will not. So I've thought about this, and this is not a true story. It's just a compilation of things. And please understand, I'm, I'm not talking about being creative and writing a work of fiction. That's not what I'm talking about. If you write a story and it's fiction, you're not trying to deceive anybody. I'm talking about being creative in the way that we try to deceive and how we celebrate that. So let's assume the mother comes in And she has a three-year-old. The three-year-old is in the kitchen, and there's a pile of Cheerios in the floor. And the mother says, did you dump the Cheerios in the floor? And the child says, no. Well, you're the only one in here. How did the Cheerios get in the floor? The cat did it. We don't have a cat. How did the cat do it? It was the imaginary cat. See, as a grandparent, I I mean, I, I would just bust out laughing at that point, right? And I know that's a silly illustration, but folks, we do it all the time. We celebrate a creative lie, and it's a very dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous thing. So here's the bottom line. The truth will set us free. So don't lie to God. You can't anyway. You remember the the story in the book of, of Acts about 
Ananias and Sapphira. They just made it up. Seemed like a good thing to do. They gave some money to the church. They acted like they gave it all to the church. And what did the apostles say to them? You lied to God. Did that change reality? It might have changed people's perception of what they did. It didn't change the reality. They lied to God. You can't lie to God. Don't lie to your children. And your children know. So, you want to go play golf, but you're supposed to go to work. I, I hadn't called in sick in a while. Not a big deal. I'll just call in sick and go play golf. Your children know. Is it okay to go play golf? Is it a big deal to call in sick? Yeah. It is. If you're not sick. And your children know. And then we wonder why our children are liars. Be very careful. Same thing with your spouse or, or anyone. Don't start lying. The truth will set you free. 2 Thessalonians 2, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. Folks, we've got to love the truth. That's the solution to all of this. We've got to love the truth. And we love sometimes everything but the truth. God has given us the truth. We have to love it. And if we don't love it, for this reason God will send them strong delusion. It's not God's fault here, folks. It's our fault because we reject the truth. And we don't love the truth. We don't want to hear the truth. And we become deluded. And that's a terrible place to be. But there is a solution. You can overcome the delusion by loving the truth. When we believe a lie, he says, they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And finally, Luke 4, the people were together in the synagogue. Jesus come, came to the synagogue. They hand Him, I believe it's the book of Isaiah. And so He reads this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, He has 
sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And this is a prophecy. And Jesus goes on here in Luke 4 to say, this prophecy is fulfilled today. This was Jesus' purpose. He came to set us free. He wants us to be free. He gave His life so that we could be free. If you're here today, and you're not free, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. You can be free from your sin. You can obey the gospel and have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism. Just like Romans 6 said. If you're here today and you've turned from that and become a slave once more to sin and you want help with that and we can pray with you or for you, we want one or more of either group to come as we stand and as we sing.